Hey everybody, how are you doing? It's Peter here and it's time for the PDG Advertising Podcast, episode 70. Let's get into it. So today we've got a fun-packed show. We're going to talk a little bit about what's been going on at PDG Advertising. We're going to talk about the metaverse and what's going on with Facebook ads currently. We're going to talk about what's going on with Google ads. We were at, or I was at an event recently called Ecom Live, and at it was a chap called Barry Adams, and we learned a lot, it's really good, and we have a very special guest a little bit later on, it's Martin Gilchrist, and I'm really looking forward to speaking to him, very thankful that he agreed to be a part of the PDG Advertising Podcast. He is our first guest ever on the show, so I'm really looking forward to it. So what's been going on at PDG Advertising over the last couple of months? It has been busy, very, very busy doing all the advertising for our customers. We have been looking for a new team member. Our current team is uh, Neil um, working on the pay-per-click and myself working on account management and strategy. And I think that we have developed up a really nice system for doing a great job for customers a lot of the things we're doing are mostly centered around the customer journey so we've taken a lot of time Neil and I to look at what our customers are doing and and what they offer and then taking a step back and reviewing how people get to their products online from the second that they think, oh, I want a cardigan or, oh, I want a, a new computer or, oh, I, I'm having trouble with a, a medical complaint. What are the steps that they take online? Do they go to Google first or are they passively hanging out on Facebook or are they flicking through TikTok? What are they doing when this they could potentially or do start a journey looking for something that our, our customer provides? And that's been really useful to do and has allowed us to make much better decisions for our for our customers. We're, we're looking for a new team member um, to help us with account management for the business. And we're at the end of the recruitment cycle for that. And I'm looking forward to making a decision on that next week. Whoever it is, we've had such a great response to our adverts and the candidates that we've seen come through are, are just really impressive so i know whoever we choose will be a an excellent addition to the pdg roster i've been thinking a lot about brand recently and how we can get our brand and name out there more so i'm hoping to do more of the pdg advertising podcast and more of the kind of promotion online that we're doing for our customers not really doing much of that for ourselves and I think it's about time we started to, to get out there more. I think we're probably going to have a website change in the near future as well. So there's a number of different things that are, are running about in my head for, for the future of, of PDG. And I'm really looking forward to it, actually. And I'll share it here exclusively on the PDG Advertising Podcast for all two of you regular listeners. I wanted to talk a little bit about the metaverse i don't know if you heard but facebook recently changed its name to meta 
And when I say Facebook changed its name, the overarching company that governs Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook Messenger, I guess. Can't think of anything else that they own or have. Um, oh, I guess the <laughs> the more obvious one is the Oculus. It used to be called Oculus Rift or, or the Oculus Company. Um, now their flagship product is the Oculus Quest, the virtual reality headset company. So now that collection of companies is now under the umbrella of Meta. And why it's under the umbrella of Meta is because Mark Zuckerberg, creator, founder, CEO, president, whatever way he exists in Facebook is on Meta now is has decided that he is going to move forward and work to create the the metaverse, which is basically virtual reality. It's the connectivity of your online and offline life. Now, to some degree, this already exists. Our, our phones, our cell phones, our smartphones are now so connected to us in terms of how we live our, our daily lives that we're, the online and the offline is, is already connected for most people. Interestingly, I was speaking recently about digital inclusion and I wonder how this pans out for people who aren't so savvy in using smartphones and I wonder what the accessibility levels of, of the metaverse will, will be. The building of the metaverse by Facebook and Meta seems to be the, the next stage of that. It seems to be where instead of being in the real world all the time that we will start to be in the metaverse and one manifestation of the metaverse is the oculus quest headset so you buy a headset and put it over your eyes and i'm going to take a step back because the reason i can talk about this with authority is because we purchased at pdg the oculus quest 2 it's, as far as I know, the most up-to-date headset that you can get for virtual reality. And why I bought it was because I watched Mark Zuckerberg explain what the metaverse is. And I'm scared. I'm concerned that we're going to move to something that we don't totally understand. I'm concerned about the privacy aspects of it. I'm concerned about the damage to our health and the damage to our mental state of having dual worlds one the real world and two the virtual world and if i'm scared of something that's going to likely be so prominent in digital and digital advertising then i'm going to learn about it i'm going to find out about it and i'm going to figure it out from the inside out that's just me that's just part of my nature and that's exactly what what we've done so this manifestation of the metaverse is putting a headset on, purchased for £300 in Argos, in Armagh, in Northern Ireland, going home and putting your headset on and entering the virtual reality world of the metaverse or of the Oculus world 
or whatever. I think there's another headset by HP. And testing this out recently, I put on this headset and I knew after 10 seconds that something had irre irreversibly changed for all of us. The virtual reality that I've experienced previous to this has always been kind of not real, kind of not believable. I've been on roller coasters where you know you're you're on a you're in a cinema and the roller coaster is moving up and down and the the screen is 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 very um lifelike and very realistic but you know maybe 20% realistic then i've been on i've i've watched things like avatar with the 3d glasses i think and it was cool uh, but you know was it realistic again maybe about 20% realistic I can tell you this Oculus Quest 2 is about 90 to 95% realistic. It is so close to life. It is so close to reality that you are tricked into thinking that you are in, in reality. And it's so impressive and it's absolutely terrifying at the, at the same time. Now, what I've been able to use it for so practically, <laughs> there's quite a lot of games on it. So I I was in an, I was in a I bought the Jurassic Park game, where you start off in a plane crash, which is quite terrifying because it's really realistically like being in a plane crash. Not that I know, and I never want to be, but the sensation of a plane going down, actually a pterodactyl taking <laughs> down a plane, is something that you could never really experience without being in it and being dangerous, but. In, in this scenario, on this Oculus Quest 2, it was quite incredible and quite quite realistic and, and really uh, enjoyable. It was frightening and it was, in, it was enjoyable to be, be in that. And then we crashed the plane and then I looked up and a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex was towering over me. And it, that, that was also terrifying. So I, I can guarantee I'll never be in the position where, you know, a Tyrannosaurus Rex will be literally towering above me and it will feel really real. So... That was one of the first experiences I had and it was really cool. Another experience I had where I was playing table tennis and the table tennis, it's so interesting. Throughout the, throughout the history of the internet, of games, of digital, table tennis has always been there as, as the, the thing that starts off a, a game system. I'm pretty sure that my parents told me that they had or they were lent or they rented uh, a video game system where you put it into your TV and it's called Pong and two little sidebars go up at either side of the, the TV and a, a white dot bops across the screen and you know it's basically table tennis but, but very um, analogue, not some ones. Then on the Nintendo Wii I'm sure that there are other versions of tennis in between, you know, that Pong game and the Nintendo Wii. But on the Nintendo Wii, I remember the the one thing that was made it was Wii tennis, and and you would go on and you would play tennis. Fair enough, not table tennis, but batting something back and forward, batting a ball back and forward. And now this, and I am telling you, it is the most realistic thing that you could possibly. It's it's like another world where you go in and you get a bat and whenever you hit the ball the 
the controller vibrates to, to mimic the feeling of the weight of the ball hitting it. You can bounce the ball on top of your on top of your bat, and then you can play uh, an opponent, a real person who's having the same experience as you in a headset. Who knows where? Florida, Miami, London, China. Who knows? And you're playing them in virtual reality on a completely fake setup that feels really, really real. You can speak to them as well in in real time too. So. Then I'm I'm thinking, well, what can we use this for productively? Because I can play table tennis all day, or I can be chased around by dinosaurs. But what what can I use this for productively? And I was able to, interestingly, I love process maps. I love charts. I like um, figuring out strategy using visual means as visual as possible. And I was able to create a room where I was able to create these spheres of importance for for my business. So I put all of my customers on one side in little balls and I put them um, with their name above them and I could see them all in one area. And then I put who in my team is responsible for the tasks for those those customers. Uh, and that felt like a really powerful, powerful thing. And it was 3D and virtual and I could move it around. It felt a bit like Minority Report, if you've ever seen that. It, it was quite, quite incredible. And it's it's in its very earliest stages and I can see the appeal because you can create whatever you want. You can create a virtual world of whatever you want. You're not constrained by gravity or any of the things that are here. But my my fear my fear isn't that my fear isn't that we'll get lost in that world and, and not look at the real world because I actually don't believe that's true. I think we can have a bit of fun or a bit of productivity in that real world, but in, in the virtual world, but whenever we come back to the real world, that we will, you know, actually make things a little bit better because we'll, we can try out things in the virtual world that maybe we can't in the real world and it might, you know, instigate us to go and try out things in the, in the virtual world. Also, I must mention, <laughs> boxer size and fitness in VR is another level cool. And, and seems really effective. And I've been in a lot of pain since I started doing some of those some of those classes. So something must be something must be working. But what I'm not scared about is that the virtual world will take over. What, what I'm scared about is the history of social platforms and, and the metaverse being controlled by a platform uh, and the maker of a platform now that has caused such division in the world. And and that's my that's my main concern and my main fright. So. I think what there needs to be is some level of regulation here with the metaverse. I'm not sure that the Facebook and Meta company are the companies to, to own it and regulate it and look after it. And and we'll have to see. We'll have to see how this how this pans out. But I would want to see some more regulation as to how it's being used and who's allowed to use it and where they're allowed to use it and how they're allowed to use it. Um, because if not, it could turn into something that's a lot scarier and a lot more um, dystopian than we uh, than we would than we would want, um, and that's what PDG has been finding out about the the metaverse in the past little while. So leading on from talking about Meta, uh, I want to talk about specifically a part of their business called Facebook, and specifically a part of their business called Facebook Ads. The last few years have been a pretty rocky road for Facebook. I think what's happened is, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they started off with a business and it's grown to something that has connected billions of people across the world. And for advertisers, being able to 
target people uh, right down to their eye color, I would imagine, has been quite incredible. Now, over time, there have been abuses of this power to advertise, whether it be governments from other countries in trying to influence elections in countries they're not a part of, whether it be child abuse online, whether it be serious violent scenes online, um, all of those things have happened and really uh, destroyed the credibility of the of the platform itself. For me, it hasn't discredited the power of, of social media and the power of connection, but it has said that you know things need to be tighter and things need to be more regulated. So in terms of Facebook adverts, what's happening right now is things are less effective than they were yesterday and more effective than they will be tomorrow. I mean, even in the last, so if we look, if we go back 60 days, the change in the Apple uh, permissions for tracking. So if you're on an Apple product and you choose to opt out of tracking, uh, you're not going to be flagged on Facebook ads to be able to be retargeted to. Um, there's more facets to that, but that's one of the basics of it. Um, you're not going to get those retargeting ads from that company that you're you're browsing the web on. So um, in with that being such a huge change, it demolished the power to uh, hyper-target people that you knew were interested in your, in your product. And then um, now uh, an article in The Guardian has said that you know Facebook is banning ads targeting people on their race or sexual orientation based on their uh, past liking, commenting, or um, browsing uh, history. And really, uh, as a human and as a user, that's a good thing. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really have an opinion, but I don't think I'm comfortable with people being able to be targeted from you know those aspects of their of their life. Um, the marketer in me says all data is good to be able to market to it. Um, however, I think it's too powerful to be able to just in a non-regulated way be able to to target people for that. So um, it's better that it's taken off the table for now. What it does mean is that advertising is not as easy now as it was. And it means that your ads have to be better than they were. So whenever you're targeting to a broader market you must be able to promote the benefits catch the eye um be seen in the newsfeed um and you must do it more succinctly and more effectively than you did before and, and that means better copy better visuals better videos and better offers and what's what's more is people are savvier now you know people are now wise to the methods that advertisers would use to to get them to you know sign up to things like the the free consultation is a favorite one of mine and when i say favorite it's a favorite example of how not to do things of course you're going to give a free consultation who are you not going to give a free consultation? who are you going to make pay for your first initial consultation and if you do you shouldn't it's no good stop doing it so in short facebook has got worse for advertisers and um, probably better for users in the last while even though it might mightn't feel like it um but it's got worse for advertisers so if you are advertising on facebook then you better have good copy and you better have good visuals because otherwise you're not going to 
connect with your users and meet your goals and objectives and you're going to waste a whole bunch of advertising spend. So let's talk about Google Ads. They're another one of the things that we do and do well at PDG Advertising. And I thought it might be a good idea to give you a bit of an update on what the state of play is currently in the in the land of, of Google. To start off by saying I really love Google Ads. There's a few different facets of them. One is text adverts, the ads that you see that come up whenever you Google something. And they can be either text adverts or shopping adverts. Then there's ads that you see while browsing the internet. You could be reading an article on something you're interested in. If, you, if you're interested in guitars and playing guitar or learning the guitar, and you're reading an article about that, you might see a Google ad in the middle of the article that says buy a guitar or buy buy something to do with a guitar. Buy a, um, oh, what do you call, um, I, it will come to me, the, the name of the thing that you, a capo, <laughs> a capo. So the only reason I know that is because I'm, I'm looking at a guitar right now and I'm trying to learn how to, how to play it. And maybe sometime it will feature on the PDG advertising podcast, but not today because we're talking about Google adverts and you know those adverts in the middle of articles are, are called display adverts and the other type of google ads are youtube ads so ads on on youtube all run through the powerful google ads manager system it used to be called adwords it's not anymore it's called google ads now we run google ads for quite a lot of customers it's probably our most the most time is probably spent on Google ads for our customers. And the reason is because the intent is really high. So if someone's searching for a solution, if they're literally, I don't know about you, but I put everything into Google. When I want to know about something, it's going into Google. Goodness knows, if you if you want to know about Peter Doak, you just have to go to my Google search history and you will find every thought for the past 10 years on there. And what we want to do as advertisers is get in front of people who are doing the same thing. So if someone wants to buy weights online, we want to be there to um, get in front of them with a great advert. Now, what I'm finding is, you know, display ads are cool, search ads are cool, those text adverts that, that come up. But the real surprising thing for me is how incredible Google shopping ads are at the moment for customers. And if you want to buy something, like you want to buy uh, jeans or shorts, you put that into Google and you get this this list of potential sellers of this product on on Google. If you're if you're at a computer or you're on your phone, do it right now. Just type in something you're interested in, something that you could buy, and you'll see a bunch of shopping adverts, and and they're killing it right now for our customers. So, our customers are, you know, a lot of them are e-commerce based, and we are able to provide that Google shopping experience for them. It's a little bit tricky to set it up. We've invested a lot of time in understanding. Let's say you've got a Shopify site or a WordPress site or a big commerce site. There has to be a connection through something called Google Merchant Center that connects up to Google ads to allow your products to be 
sold on on Google Shopping. And when you figure out that connection, whenever you get over that little hurdle, um, you're then able to plug in to anybody in your target market that's searching for your product or, or something similar. And it's incredible and it provides incredible ROAS. I, I've seen in the last week uh, ROAS of 57, which is quite incredible. So that means that for every one pound spent on the ads, um, they made 57 pounds back. And they're not just spending one pound, they're spending hundreds of pounds per day on this campaign. Now, uh, also we see ROAS of you know three, four, which is still incredible. You know, being able to drive that level of return for the ad spend is, is quite cool. So in short, in the land of Google, what I'm finding that's really impressive right now is Google shopping ads. And it's something to check into, definitely if you run an e-commerce store. And um, being on that platform is is very important, and it's definitely where customers are are searching. How, how we came to this actually was really interesting. Uh, Neil and I went into what we call the fishbowl, and we sat in the fishbowl. It's a little um, meeting room in the office in Portadown, and we what we found was the reason why we sat down was because we wanted to figure out why our ads weren't converting for a particular customer. So. What we do when that happens is we put ourselves in the position of the customer and we say, what would I do if I was looking for this product? And immediately we start a search. And whenever we did that, we saw, oh, okay, well, there's pictures of this product with price and reviews immediately whenever I look on, on Google and I am going to click on one of those. And it's very difficult for us to justify then having Facebook ads running or having Google text adverts running whenever we know that we need to dominate that first line of of google shopping on on google and that's how we came to the conclusion and then whenever we did that we found okay we're now getting results for this now our customers are getting sales in and, and that's what we want to happen so um in a nutshell i would say google shopping is very important and in the landscape of google ads there's many more areas that are really really cool and really awesome um but in e-commerce google ads equals google shopping so last week we went to an event in Belfast. I was, I got a message into our PDG Advertising Instagram account, which is at PDG Advertising. If you want to head over, visit us, follow us, comment on us, look at what we do. And I got an, a message into it saying, Ecom Live event, Belfast, Clockwork Buildings, uh, this Thursday, can you come? And clicked on the link, registered for it. Um, <laughs> saw e-commerce and free beer and pizza. I was like, right, these guys know what they know their market. <laughs> they know they know I'm gonna wanna I'm gonna wanna come to to that. Well, sorry, they didn't know I wanted to come to it, but they knew someone like me would wanna come come to it. Um, it was hosted by Grow Consultancy, a chap called Kevin. Uh, who did a really great job of organizing, coordinating, and setting up a really cool event. Uh, speakers were Klarna and also uh, Barry Adams from Polemic Digital, uh, someone I know from working in uh, an office in, in his building um, or in the building that he works in. Um, he's an SEO uh, consultant. I really enjoyed the event. I saw people that I knew. I saw people that I hadn't seen for 20 years. It felt like a nice vibe. It it wasn't. I've been on a lot of events, <laughs> a lot of events, per, particularly marketing ones can be a bit 
I don't know, icky to me. They're they're a little bit. Um, it's it's hard to describe. Our our industry is is full of a lot of people that you know talk a great game but aren't really doing anything. And this didn't feel like that at all. It felt felt really cool. Um, really nice buildings, clockwork, clockwise offices. I'm not sure how to say it in Belfast. Um, are really cool. And then the uh, people that were there were were awesome. Just people that seemed to want to learn and were interested and engaged in the in the subject. It was nice to be out past the COVID era of being locked down. I know we're not past that yet, but it was nice to just be out in, in company of people. And yeah, there were a lot of people there. Martin Gildchrist, who you're going to hear from a little bit later on, um, he was there. And it just felt like the right people were, were in the right crowd. So we learned a lot. Um, it was interesting hearing from Klarna. It, it, was, int- it was very interesting hearing from uh, Barry Adams. Um, he talked about diversification and I think diversification is very very important he made a good point he was saying you know how do we stop the ad platforms from screwing us over <laughs> if if they do something you know how do we make sure that we're we're protected against that and and goodness me they do and, and I agree that they do and the diversification that he was talking about was try different things and I, I couldn't agree more um, it was enjoyable hearing about his, his SEO experience and, and what he does for his customers. It was also a, a very important message for anybody that's interested in digital advertising or anybody that's interested in business at all. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. I've done it before, tried not to do it and realized I was doing it. And it's a very difficult thing to get out of that when things are going well. But you have to, you must... If you're if you're in advertising, don't just do Facebook ads. Don't just do SEO. Don't just do Google ads. Um, make sure that you have a repertoire of of skills because your customers need it. Your customers can't rely on just one one platform. They must look at the whole customer journey and try to, their customer journey and try to affect it positively. So having a broader stretch of what you can do is definitely better. And I would definitely definitely agree with it i think it's really important and it was a good presentation from both uh, barry adams from Klarna and and from um kevin at grow consultancy i believe and it was a, a pleasure to to be there and that was ecom live i think they've got a um i think they've got an event coming up soon i'm sure if you google ecom live belfast or, or anything similar that you would get to that page so we're going to do things a little bit differently than we normally do on the PDG Advertisement Podcast. This is episode 70. It's a joy to do these podcasts, to document the journey of PDG Advertising. And up next, I have an interview with uh, a close uh, business friend, Martin Gilchrist. And he's been so kind to give his time to talk to us on the PDG Advertising Podcast today. So let's get into it. Martin, it is an absolute honor to be speaking with you this evening. You have the, I don't know, the dubious, the, the, I don't know whether to call it an honor or not, but you have the, the um, now the title of being the first ever guest on the PDG Advertising Podcast, and you are um, making the guest debut on the, the 70th episode. So I want to thank you so much for agreeing to uh, come on and talk to me. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. And and look, before we uh, before we start talking, I just want to also say thank you for the amount of 
you know, mentorship and help and support and the joy in being able to to work with you on on things like this and the things that we have um, that we have uh, worked on. So so thank you uh, thank you very much. Um, to start off, I think it would be really great if you wouldn't mind giving us a, an idea of who Martin Gilchrist is and and what he does. Martin Gilchrist, who is that guy? He's the guy that stands up and asks the first question at every conference that you could possibly go to. He's a, a camper van owner and loves hootling around the countryside with his good wife, Michelle. I'm talking about myself in the third person here. Person here. Um, I like eating food. Doesn't necessarily have to be great food. I like conversations. And I was as excited as a puppy with a new toy when my good friend Peter Doak got in touch to say, Martin, would you come on and do this podcast with me? I think that's enough. That's me in a nutshell. That's fantastic. Um, and Martin, maybe um, for everyone, you could give us an idea because, you know, you're a respected businessman. Um, you're an incredible networker. Uh, you're you're a good person to, to know. Um, and, and I think... Um, it'd be really interesting for our listeners to to know, you know, about how you got into business and and what your business is uh, business is all about. I come from a family of entrepreneurs and business people. So my dad was a businessman, my uncles, my aunts, my grandfather, my grandmother. They were all involved, but my brothers and sisters as well. Um, I think all my brothers now have their own businesses. Yeah, yes, they they do. I have four brothers and they're all in business. Um, so I come from an entrepreneurial and business family. My baptism of fire of work was um, when I left school at 16. My father was a builder. I mean, he was a bit involved in construction anyway. And he told me that, you know, you've left school some now, you have to pay your housekeeping, you're coming to me on the building site. He started at the crack of dawn, daylight. As soon as it was daylight, we were on the site. And I can remember I spent six cold, wet, miserable months working as a groundsman, the guy that digs the holes around houses and puts in paving stones and drains and all that type of stuff. And I think my father did it on purpose. He taught me a lesson. He taught me that I wasn't really an outdoors type of guy. I was, I was bred for the office and a comfy chair. So I swiftly went on to uh, get a job in an accountancy practice as an accounts assistant. I worked my way up to the position of um, assistant accountant. <laughs> Just like the words around. Did some qualifications. Um, I worked in organizations such as NICO, which was a public sector spin-out that sent our civil servants overseas. I worked for a while with an organization called Ledgy, which was the predecessor of Invest NI for small businesses. They used to be treated, they used to be IBM, I, 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 I can't remember, anyway, but there was a big one and there was a small one. The small one was Ledger. And then I went into the private sector for a while. And then eventually I started my own business. In, um, it was actually looking after legal accounting software and the installation of legal accounting software. And that business was called Legal Accounting NI. And I did that for about two years until I seen a much better opportunity with my wife, Michelle, Michelle Gilchrist. FCA. FCA means that she's a fellow of the Institute, a senior member of the Institute of Chartered Accountants. And the two of us went into business together in Gilchrist and Co. Chartered Accountants. 
Did that for about 15 years. We grew a very successful practice. We were very lucky with lots of wonderful clients. Michelle still, Michelle's the principal, always has been in that practice, and she carries on and um, with a, a small team now that we have built in um, Gilchrist and Co. And I have taken a sabbatical, a break. I'm taking a year away to try out something new. And the something new is Workshore. Workshore co-working facilitation, which is all about allowing anyone to work anywhere at any time. Essentially, it's all about hybrid working. How about that? Is that a good timeline? That is, a, that is an excellent timeline. I want to I want to take you back in time a little bit. And I want to ask you about whenever you made the leap from working for someone to working for your for yourself. What was the lead up to that like? Did it feel risky? Was it scary? How did you how did you find that that process? Honestly, it wasn't as scared as it should have been. <laughs> um, I suppose I was lucky in that Michelle was in full-time work as a chartered accountant. So even if it hadn't worked out, we could have survived six months or so without making any money whatsoever. So the first leap wasn't really a leap. It was maybe a, a, a long step. So I worked for an organization called Asdon. And Asdon was the reseller or the licensee or whatever it's described for not a piece of software called it was initially called Millennium, and then it, became, it was bought over by an organization called Opsis. I think the same piece of software has been bought over about four or five times. And I think it belongs to Iris now. This was way back in the beginning of case management and accounting software for solicitors. And I worked with them for about a year, and I very quickly realized that there was an opportunity. There was a, there was a demand. There was a, a shortage of people that actually knew how to use this software and to use it well and how to install it and how to keep it up to date and how to train other staff and stuff into it. And I had always wanted to run my own business. I think it was about 26, so somewhere between 24 and 26 at the time. And I think I had just reached the age where I realized, you know, I was grown up enough to go out and, you know, pretend to be a businessman, <laughs> put on a shirt and tie and a shiny suit and, and go out and try and sell my wares. And, uh, that's why I took the leap. There was a particular opportunity at that particular point in time. There were um, clients of Asdons that were sort of offering me work, but I didn't want to go and work for them. Um, but I seen the opportunity to, to offer those services as a freelance consultant. And that's that's when I went into the, the legal accounting and case management arena. That's 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 quite in, incredible. And throughout that journey, throughout that time, um, from whenever you started that to now, um, I hope you don't mind me saying, but people would know you as a, a, a very good networker, as well as all the other things that you do well. But networking is is a big part of what you do and, and who, you, who you are. Um, perhaps um, you could share a little bit about that journey, you know, where that came from and um, why that's such a big part of your, your world. It's funny. Um... And I say this sometimes, and I think people don't believe me wrong. I'm actually quite introverted. So when I go on my holidays or I'm not at work, I don't talk to anybody. The only <laughs> person I talk to on my holidays is Michelle. And um, I'm not I'm not I'm not gregarious and in, in large crowds and stuff when I'm not working, you know, if I go out and I'm just just a large group of friends and stuff, I certainly wouldn't be the person that pushes myself to the front. And and from my experience, we have quite a few creative industry type guys, musicians, and, and 
artists and stuff like that, performers. And a lot of them are like that as well, that when they're not on stage, when they're not working, they're actually quite quiet. They're quite, quite private people. So I went from being this very quiet, accountancy, bookish type of individual that managed my own business and spent a lot of time my, by myself working alone in an office. You know, the type of work I did was, you know, you just did it by yourself. You weren't part of large teams. And I had to go out into the world and start telling them about who I was and what I was doing. And I find that really hard at the start. Really, really hard. I was, you know, the, the senses of anxiety and fear and trepidation before going into events and, and networking events and conferences and all that type of stuff. And then this idea of having to talk to complete strangers and how do you start that conversation? And then we went into where they, shortly after starting Gilchrist and Go, we, we, the Royal We, I, founded a group called the Social Media Association for Business. I remember that. And it was a lot of fun. And we, it would, we just hit the right button at the right time. You know, social media was just coming in as a thing that people seen about 12 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. And there was a lady, I'm trying to remember her name now. Oh. Somebody anyway, anyway introduced me to um, Facebook and Twitter. I was, at, I, was at a, I was at a networking event. And um, this lady, young woman, um, was presenting and she was talking about social media. She was explaining both these things to me at the same time. And off I went, like a her with a, I don't know, what's the expression for somebody tears off or something with an idea. I know the um, one you're thinking of. Like, it's not coming to me, but I know I know what you're what you're saying. Something explains that. Somebody get, picks something up and gets overly excited about it. Well, I thought Facebook and Twitter were absolutely fantastic. The way I pictured these things they were like a business card you could hand out to someone and it would constantly update itself of all the information you could possibly let them have. Imagine being able to hand somebody a business card like that. They'd give you them a telephone number and there was a wee video of you and they kept up to date with what you were doing and you could update your price. That's what Facebook was. And back in those days, if you made a post and you had 10 followers, for some reason, 100,000 people would see it. I can remember with the Social Media Association, our first, well, we, we, we went from nothing to 2,000 uh, followers, literally in the case of about four weeks. And these were legitimate Northern Ireland-based followers, but our posts were reaching 100,000, there was 100,000 views or something. It was, it was absolutely crazy. And because of that, we were able to attract people like um, Concentrics, it was called something else then, the Tourism NI, the University of Ulster, Queen's University, Facebook, you know, came to our events and, and put speakers in. It was, um, it was um, quite an incredible journey. But in all of that time, and I think the point I was making here before I lost the train and stuff was, in all of that time, I never stood at the stood on the stage. I never, I never introduced anybody. I, I never said who I was. I was always in the background. I had a team of people in our steering group that did all of that stuff for me and protected me effectively from my own fear of, you know, that just meant that I didn't have to go up on the stage and do all those things. So I, I, and back in those days, I was able to make all that stuff happen without having to stand at the front, even though I was essentially pulling strings at the back. But unfortunately, um, business doesn't allow you to do that for very long. And if you're going to be serious about your business and you are the business or you are the main protagonist of the business, at some stage, you're going to have to just swallow your fear and stand up and get out there and do stuff like this. 
you know, tell tell your own story on your own two feet. And that's eventually what happened. So we moved on from the social media association. Or I moved when I say we moved on. Michelle came to me one day and said, are you at the social media association? Because it's taken all your time and I haven't seen you in about four days. Or are you Gilchrist and co? And I suddenly realized that she was absolutely right. It's very hard to have two masters. And uh, I went to the same committee. I said, look, I've had a good year at this. I'm going to step back to German. We, we handed over to another guy and he took the position of chair. And I, I got back into Gilchrist and co and doing all the good stuff that we do there. Um, and if you were, if someone was, because I know that feeling of going to an event and not wanting to, wanting to speak to people, but being too scared to speak to speak to people, and you know, it it in my in my view, it, it's um, it's something that you just have to get over, and everything's more enjoyable whenever you do get get over that. Um, but what what would be your advice to to someone who is maybe starting off in that journey or starting off with their business? Um, what would be your advice to someone who was in that kind of anxious state and didn't want to put themselves out there? Um, most people are good people, you know, most people, most strangers, well, at a networking event, people are there to network, you know, you get the odd wing nut who doesn't play the game and isn't very nice to talk to and, and is either cynical or sarky or nasty, you know, you're going to come across those people, that's just the nature of life, but you don't have to worry about them, what you have to worry about is how are you going to build around you a network of people it's just like you are to me Peter so why did you reach out to Martin Gilchrist in order to have this conversation it's because we're connected in some way and we both believe in each other and trust each other and, and and all that good sort of stuff that comes out of you know conversation and engagement and we, we've done a couple of other wee projects and stuff together so we, we trust each other but the very first point in that is you have to connect with someone you have to go to a networking event or you know somewhere where you're going to be able to meet other business people and let them get a sense of who you are so that, that has to be done so just just accept that and say right well i have to do this so you're, you're feeling frightened you, you went to the door of this place and you go let's say everybody else is in weak clicks or or uh Nobody's going to want to talk to me or or what to talk about or all that stuff. All those silly, oh, they're not silly thoughts, they're, they're legitimate thoughts that go about your head. The first thing is not everybody's going to be talking to everybody all the time. There are going to be people that break away from groups. There are going to be people who come in late through the door after you. There are going to be people that are at the coffee stand or eating a sandwich or whatever it may be. And if you're standing by yourself, go over and talk to them. And I would suggest two things. Two things when you go over and talk to us, go over and talk to a stranger. First the thing is go over with a smile on your face, like you're friendly, you know, and you're not gonna bite their head off, you know. Then you go over like you want to talk to them. Not that you're like you're scared of them or that you're intimidated or that you're, you know, you're you're got some sort of a defense mechanism up or that you're cooler than they are or whatever it is. Go over with a genuine smile on your face, like you want to talk to them, you know, that you you want to have a conversation. Because people pick up on that right away. It's your, your sense. If you have a smile, it changes your whole um, demeanor and, and that engagement thing. And then the same thing is, don't make it about you. Don't make it about you. If you go over and talk without being too nosy, you know, don't, you don't go over and just barrage some questions. But show an interest in them and what they're about. So ask them what they do. Uh, when they tell you if you know anything about that subject, talk about that. 
you know, talk about what they do and people that you know that do that and why you are interested in that. Or if you don't know anything about it at all, ask them something about the subject of what they do. So rather than asking them personal intrusive questions about themselves, well, what do you do? And uh, where do you live? And all that type of stuff. You can ask them about their business. Also, Peter, you work with Facebook. What does that, what does that mean? What's it like? You know, how long have you been doing it? That, that type of stuff. And, and try and let them tell as much about themselves as they possibly can. Now, you're not going to remember half of it. You're going to go and talk to someone else. And half of what Peter had told me about Facebook will go out of my head before I see him again. But what you will do is you'll get a sense of what that person's like, whether they're people that you want to have in your network or not. There may not be anything wrong with them, but if they don't click with you and you don't click with them or there's, you know, you just don't get on, you're not going to waste any time engaging with your network. But if, like you and me, Peter, you do find a reason to connect, follow up with that. And I suppose the final thing I would say in relation to the actual event when you're talking to those people is... You don't have to tell them anything about you. You don't have to try and squeeze that into the conversation because either they're interested in you or they're not. If they're interested in you, they will ask you questions. They'll go, oh, Peter, Facebook, tell me about that. If they're not interested in you, they'll just talk about themselves. Uh, my name is Warren Gill because I sell account services. I'm obviously fantastic. Accounts. We're the best account people. I've been doing accounts for years and years. And me, to me, to me, to me, 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 to me, me. And that's all you'll hear. You'll just hear blah, 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 because you're not, unless you've asked, you're probably not really interested. So find out about the person. Try and find out if it's someone you want to connect with. If it is someone you want to connect with, find out how you can connect with them. Let them know that you're going to be connecting with them afterwards. All that good stuff. And if they're interested in you, they will ask. If they're interested in you and you're interested in them, you've got a connection. That, 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 that is what networking is all about. There, there, was, a, there was an event we were both at um, a week or so ago, um, maybe two weeks ago now. I'm not sure with time moving so quickly. But there was an event that we were at, uh, Ecom Live. Um, run by a chap called Kevin from Grow Consultancy, and I thought Kevin it was Trainer. Kevin Trainer. I thought he was. I thought he was excellent, and I thought the event was excellent as well. But whenever you're talking about that, you know that initial. What do you do? How do you how do you talk talk to people? I I went to that event not realizing I would know anybody at the event, um, and when I was there. I knew one of the speakers. I knew a few people in the audience. I was sitting there and I heard the first question being asked by a very familiar, um, a very familiar uh, voice. And I looked across and there was Martin Gilchrist. And what, what was interesting about all of that was whenever you first start off in business, um, you're not going to know everybody. You're not going to know anybody. But I think over time, um, naturally, as you do talk to more, more people, um, things become much, much easier in terms of networking because you've built up this kind of small network of, of people where you might know one person at event. So um, making those little connections now can really help in the in the future. And, and I was a bit shocked by that whenever I was there and there were some people that I actually actually knew, which was, which was wonderful. Um, I guess that kind of segues us very nicely into the present, uh, Martin Gilchrist. So what is um, Workshore all, all about? Where did it come from and, and what's its current current form? Well, as we just discussed, I love networking. 
I love I love collaboration. I love working on projects with other people. I, I'm always trying to find excuses to bring people into my network and to, to work on little projects, even if they're only a couple of hours or maybe larger projects as well. That's the first thing. Networking, connection, collaboration, innovation, motivation, inspiration, all the good words. I wanted to find, because we have reached, we've been very lucky with Gilchrist and Cohen that we've reached a place where the practice can almost survive without me being in it. It's, it's grown to a stage and it's got a momentum of its own where my role of practice development, you know, going out there and growing the practice and bringing in a larger network, it's as big as Michelle and Michelle's a principal of the practice as Michelle, as Michelle wants it to be. And it's it's got a momentum of its own now that clients just almost come along just through our, our existing persona and, and credibility and all that good stuff. And I had wanted to, as much as I, I love Gilchrist and Co, Chartered Accountants, uh, working with Michelle and, and working with James, her son, um, I had always wanted to try a rocket ship idea. And by a rocket ship idea, I mean that I wanted to try a business idea that has the potential for for very high, very fast growth, and to see where we can take it. Essentially, we use zero, which is an accounting system in, in the practice. And zero was an accounting system that was was launched in New Zealand, of all places. New Zealand's an even smaller country than, than, than we are here in Northern in Ireland, Northern Ireland. And um, I wanted to see if we could have something like zero, that sort of create an idea from virtually nothing and grow it until it is world renowned. The, the zero is really, when you think of cloud accounting in the world now, zero is one of those brands that is up there. And I wanted to create a business and a brand that would be like that. And I've always enjoyed working in co-working spaces. You know, I've always enjoyed going to events in co-working spaces and using the meeting rooms and the boardrooms and, and hosting events. The number of events we have hosted. We, we, we host about maybe three or four events a year at Gilchrist and Co. And most of them have been in co-working spaces and some of my favorite events and, and, and favorite conversations have been in co-working spaces. And I, I, I started initially on the thought of, do I want to have a co-working space? And we actually looked into that and we, we almost got to the point where we had um, signed um, a tenancy on a space until we realized how much um, electrical safety certificates and fire safety stuff costs and it put another £25,000 onto the budget of what we were going to spend. So we had to take a step back from that. But then I thought, right, what is it? What is it that brings people to co-working spaces? What is it that makes people book hot desks. Like you do that work at home. Nearly everybody has super fast Wi-Fi. Nearly everybody has a laptop or printer at home. Nearly everybody can work from home all the time if they want. So it's not about the table. It's about that sense of excitement, camaraderie, um, innovation, communication, um, facilitation. There's all that stuff that happens in co-working spaces, but it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always just work like that. And sometimes people who are hybrid working, working between different venues, even though they're working in an environment with people around them, can still feel lonely, can still feel detached, can still feel that they're not part of something, what they hoped they were going to get when they went into that co-working space. And what WorkShore is all about is providing, first of all, the very first customer of WorkShore is me, Martin Gilchrist. 
I want to go on to Warwickshire on a Monday afternoon and think, well, on Tuesday, I'm going to be in Belfast. I've got two and a half hours spare. Where can I, first of all, go to work? So where, where are those tables available to? And second of all, who's out and about? Well, Peter Doak be down in Belfast and available for conversation during that two and a half window slot. Because if he is, can I book a quick conversation with him? Can, can I just catch up with him for a coffee in a space that where if I see him for half an hour, then I can go on the laptop and work on and all that type of stuff. So that's what Workshore is really about. It's facilitating hybrid working and the building of a community so that you and me can have a network of people that we can reach out and connect to. So we can do brilliant stuff like this, Peter, what we're doing right now, working together, not because we're, I'm not getting paid, you're not getting paid for doing this, but there's a mutual benefit. And that means that we don't mind talking to each other at half seven on a Sunday night because we're doing something that benefits both of us. That's what Workshore is about. It's about creating the environment and the resources and the digital resources and the physical resources and the and everything that people need in order for this to happen. Yeah, it's quite quite incredible. And we, uh, I was delighted to be at the first, the inaugural um, Workshore co-working event. I'm looking forward to uh, the next one um, on the, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one. We'll talk about that a little bit um, later on. And what do you see, Martin, as the, the, the future of, of workshop, where, where would you like it to be and in, in whatever time scale that you have in, in mind? Okay, within the next five years, Workshore is going to be the brand that represents hybrid working in the world. In five years from now, when people say hybrid working, they think Workshore. When people say Workshore, they think hybrid working, they think co-working, they think shared office space, they think hot desking. We are going to be seen as the quality brand I, I, I hesitate to use Workshare will be the Airbnb of her hybrid working. I hesitate to use it because it won't be. Airbnb will be the room our version of Workshare. That's that's where we want to be. Seriously, that's the type of ambition I have for this. And from what I'm seeing from the conversations I'm having so far and the opportunities for funding and the um, excitement and the engagement and the people wanting to get involved with this, I absolutely believe that that's what Workshore will be in five years from now. And this is going to be the industry leader, the digital platform, the Google of how do I find my desk and how do I find people. People are going to Workshore. They're not going to Google it. <laughs> They're going to Workshore. So that, that's the ambition. That's the ambition we have for it. I, I having earlier on the podcast, having talked about the the metaverse, I feel like this is a very, um, it's a great time to have, and correct me if I'm wrong, Martin, but it does feel like you're blending the online with the uh, offline, you know, the, the online cloud of availability for people, spaces and rooms with the potential for online and offline uh, interactions in in person w would that be um, right in terms of what you're trying to do? I think you hit the nail on the head. Now I have to say that I have to say that this is a developing idea. When I started out with the workshop idea, I was looking at a physical property, and then it was at a desk booking tool, and then it was community, and now the the journey seems to be taking me towards um, the virtual reality world as well. And that's very interesting because the model I want to use or the tagline that I want to be able to use for Workshore is 
co-working for anyone, anywhere, anytime. Literally with Worksore, we want you to be able to find people to have these types of conversations with or to connect, connect with so you can work with them or and to find a physical space so you can have a meeting room that you can go down and, and innovate and collaborate and, and, and do great work together. Um, and one of the ways that we're going to be able to facilitate that is through virtual environments um, such as VR Park. And there, there are others, obviously. Um, so yes, absolutely, we are looking at how we can best blend the real world and the virtual world for business people in a way that's productive and that's easy to use and that's effective and that's efficient and that's real, that, that's practical. Um, we did, we, we held a virtual event uh, summit um, a, a while ago, um, a few months ago, something I really, really uh, enjoyed. And we used a platform that I believe is now um, not in existence, but you now have a new platform, uh, VR Park. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. I think I should give credit where credit's due, Peter. It was you that introduced me to the whole idea. But before we even thought of workshop, before workshop was even a thought in my mind, before, before I even come up with the even even considered doing something like this, you had introduced me to Tiho, which was a virtual reality environment for businesses. And I can remember basically we were, if I, if I try to take us back to what we were actually doing there, why we put on the event. Um, I suppose we were talking about, yes, the, I, I had challenged you. So we were talking about how we, something that we could do together to, you know, I don't know, for increase our brand or make, make interesting content for our businesses. And I had challenged you to come back to me with a solution where we could do something that was completely different. And you did. You came back with Tivo. And we hosted an event, a business event, with there was a stage and there were speakers and there was an audience. And, by the end of that event, I almost had disconnected myself from the real world and was completely immersed, even though we were using it just on screens. I, I, we weren't using the goggles or the virtual reality goggles. We were just using it on screens. But we were completely immersed in that world. It was incredible. So, yes, I think you're, you're, you having introduced me to that so far back gave me a running start then when I came across um, VR Park and what they were doing. And I actually came across VR Park at another networking event. You know, I, I, I well, when I say networking event, Digital DNA. I was doing Digital DNA in Belfast. And they had a stand there. And although I hadn't spoken to them at the stand, it came up in conversation afterwards. I got in contact with those guys. And now we have a virtual office in VR Park um, where we're being helped out by the, the good team down there. Um, and I suppose I should take this opportunity um, to plug my own event, if you don't mind. Well, um, it was my um, my next uh, question, Martin. Is there anything <laughs> that you'd like to? Uh, is there anything that you would like to promote on the PDG Advertising Podcast? You should mention that, Peter. <laughs> I've got just to think. Um, Tuesday, the thirtieth, and this is open to everybody. I hope you'll be there, Peter. I hope I hope you, your team, your friends, your friends, your family. Okay. Everybody knows strangers on the street. You know, tell them, go out and tell the good news, the good news that is happening on Tuesday, the 30th of November. Um, from 9 a.m. through to 12 p.m., we're having what's called an open co-working morning on VR Park in the workspace virtual offices. Everyone is welcome. 
I hope to have a couple of speakers. There'll be a number of 10 minute, uh, 10 minute speaking slots just to keep a bit of interest. But you can literally just turn up and bump around the world because it takes a wee bit of getting used to these things. And if you find someone you want to talk to, great. If you just want to sit and listen to a talk, great. If you want to go on the speedboats and you have to go and see VR Park to see what I'm talking about. Oh, sorry, uh, to go on the speedboats. Yeah, there are speedboats. It's a, and, uh, it's a little... But, but, but you, you don't want to say too much about that. You want no, to, I don't want to say too much about that. That's for people to find out for themselves. Mainly it's about offices and conference rooms and boardrooms and meeting rooms. That's, that's mainly. But there is a speedboat, a couple of speedboats. Um, I would love you all to come down. Anybody who's watching this video, you will be very welcome. Um, and I presume, Peter, there'll be a link to how they get onto the VR Park site yeah. somewhere. Well, is there um, a way for people to um, sign up when? Yes. Will if you share it with me, I'll I'll certainly put it on the in the description of where the podcast goes out and where this video video goes out. But how would people um, get signed up? Basically, they go to a thing called VR Park um, on the web. So type VR Park into Google. It's it's VR Park something. It's not vrpark.com. I can't remember, I apologize. I can't remember off the top of my head what it is. But the other way they can do it is simply um, go to um, Workshore Coworking. And that's the important thing. You have to type in the co-working bit either on Google, LinkedIn, or Facebook. And the event will be all over that, you know, because that's the thing I'm going to be talking about now in Workshore until the event actually happens. Because virtual reality and virtual reality environments work best when there are other people there. And the more people we can have there engaging, bumping around the place, trying to work out how to stand up and sit down and shake hands and do all the stuff, the good stuff you do, the more people we have in the um, talks, the more people that we have um, engaging just in their own, through, the, through serendipity almost, the better it will be for everybody. So everybody's welcome. Check out Workspace Coworking on Facebook or LinkedIn. And there'll be loads of information about the event. Workshore co-working. Workshore co-working. So um, that's awesome. Martin, we will definitely um, link that up everywhere. Uh, if I actually find it very interesting that these days um, we don't even need to give a website out. We just say Google Workshore co-working uh, or Facebook Workshore co-working or whatever workshop co-working and people will find uh, where it is and, and how to get it. But we will definitely um, link that up. Martin, I can talk to you all evening. I appreciate uh, you being uh, available and willing to, uh, to talk to us. You were the first ever guest on the PDG Advertising uh, Podcast. It has been an absolute honor as always. It has been really interesting um, to uh, speak to you. So, so thank you very much for for coming on and being a part of it. It's been the best crack. Sure. What, what else will we be doing on a Sunday evening? But talking to my good friend, Peter Doak, about business, virtual reality, upcoming events, and all that good stuff. It's sure beats working, doesn't it? Beats working. Excellent, Martin. Thank you very much. Here we go. So everyone, that was the PDG Advertising Podcast, episode 70. We've talked about all kinds of things, the state of play of Facebook, Google and the metaverse, as well as a little bit about our event that we were at. And also we had a wonderful interview with 
Martin Gilchrist. Thank you so much for listening. I'd really appreciate it if you'd let us know what you think in the comments. Um, get in touch via email, Google, PDG Advertising, and let us know what you what you thought. And as always, I hope you have a really great rest of your day, week, month, year, and I look forward to being back soon with episode 71 of the PDG Advertising Podcast.